This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could be sponsored by you, yes you, the listener, through the podcast Patreon page that you can find by clicking the link in this episode's description. However, if supporting the podcast financially is not a possibility, that's totally fine too, especially if you are an Apple Podcast or iTunes listener, because you can leave the show a rating and a review. It's important with the way iTunes works, helps other people find the show and helps the show continue to grow. So please leave a rating and review. Um, there's another option by Stitcher, which also allows you to do that. And uh, don't forget, there are other ways of listening to the show if you're not an Apple Podcast or iTunes listener by heading on over to Google Play. Uh, like I said, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and wherever else you get your podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. And lastly, I highly encourage you to check out my website at chasethomaspodcast.com to read me at Medium uh, and to follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and to go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Hopefully you're still with me because this is the end of me rambling. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, on the line right now, it's Sean Leahy, NHL writer at NBCSports.com. Sean, good evening. How are you? Hey, Chase. How's everything? It's uh, it's good, man. Um, so the NHL trade deadline, it's come and gone. Um. Who do you think won the deadline? Who do you think lost? Where are you at? at? Now that we've had several days to kind of let the dust settle, how do you think it played out for the teams that really swum big and the teams that were kind of quiet and the teams that sold in major ways? Where are you at with the post-trade deadline NHL? I think if you want to look at two winners, you have to go with one team in each conference who has been towards the top of the, the standings for most of the season. The Tampa Bay Lightning, they've pretty much been on cruise control this entire season, adding Ryan McDonough and JT Miller from the New York Rangers, uh, really kind of bolstering their depth up front as well as strengthening their blue line. They, they went hard for Eric Carlson from Ottawa, which would have been an amazing deal and really put them ahead of the pack. But, you know, Ryan McDonough is a solid top four demon who will really help them out. And JT Miller is, is a good scoring forward that will certainly help their depth because we know Tampa has a, a lot of scoring uh, uh, firepower up front for them. And they just kind of strengthen their case to come out of the Eastern Conference uh, for the Stanley Cup final. And you have out, out West, Winnipeg, who has been a great story this year. They, they were kind of hamstrung by their goaltending last season, Connor Hellebuck really wasn't playing the uh, way people expected him to. He's really changed his game and turned things around. And adding a guy like Paul Stastny, who they actually pursued in free agency several years ago, but he chose to go to St. Louis instead to be able to get him 
uh, to waive his no trade clause to come to uh, to Winnipeg it was a great move because they were they've been looking for a, another center there, and to have him playing alongside of Patrick Laine is is already worked wonders for them. I mean, they're putting up points left and right, but it's really going to help them in, in the postseason when you need to, need those second secondary scoring uh, guys to really help you go go the distance. If you want to talk about losers, su- oh, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, in regards to the winners, um, you mentioned Winnipeg, and they're kind of like the forgotten good team, I feel like. Everyone talks about the Lightning and the Bruins, and we'll talk about them in a second, but then you go and think about, I mean, just the Predators and how they're back-to-back years and their GM. I think he just became the winningest GM of all time, right? Yeah, David David uh, Poyle. Mm-hmm. So everything's gone really well for them, and it looks like they're gonna be back. And they're another team I want to talk about in a bit. But uh, Winnipeg doesn't seem like they're getting a bunch of buzz as like a real Stanley Cup contender. And uh, you like what they did at the deadline, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this, the teams you have Washington, who if you want to talk another team under the radar. I mean, no one's really talking about the Capitals and Ovi scoring forty goals and. They're they're another strong team in the East, and Tampa's doing what they're doing. And you look at uh, you know Nashville. I mean, they went to the Cup final last year. They're even stronger this season. So they're getting, and then also the headlines are going to Vegas too for what they're doing, the amazing job that they've yeah. done this season. So obviously Winnipeg is getting a little bit overshadowed. Maybe that's a good thing for them to kind of surprise people once they get into the postseason. But they, uh, you know, Kevin Sheveldeoff was uh, people used to joke in the first couple of years when they went back to Winnipeg is he, he just was, he never made trades he never made player for player trades. And eventually he started, you know, doing that with the big Evander Kane trade and uh, you know, slowly started building up the prospect pool there. And it's sure enough, it bring in Patrick Lane. They, they bring that Mark Shifley, who was their first ever draft pick as Winnipeg gets 2.0. They, they've developed into great players and Blake Wheeler, who's, probably an underrated you want know, to talk about like a long list of mvp candidates he's probably on there uh, as far as what he's been able to do you know up top there and then like i said before with the goaltending connor hellebuck he was really their goaltender of the future kind of stumbled early on they went out and got steve mason from philadelphia who signed there and mason just hasn't done what he did in his early time in philadelphia and now hellebuck has really come in this year and, and taken the job and that's really gone a long way to uh, to their success this season what do you make of Evander Kane going to the Sharks? Um, well, we all know the the baggage that he comes with as a player, which is probably yeah. why uh, why a lot of GMs were scared off from him, and, and why Jason Bottrell didn't get too many offers for him uh, on trade deadline day, even though everyone knew he was going to be traded at some point this season, just because the Sabers were were so terrible since day one, and Kane is going to be mm-hmm. a, a unrestricted free agent this summer. Uh, but you know they're looking to strengthen up front. You know Joel Thorne is still out. Who knows when he's going to be back? It, it, he should be back soon before the end of the season. Um, and it's it's all about loading up for for forward depth. They're they're in a playoff spot right now, but you know there are teams Colorado, St. Louis, you know they're right behind them that that could come up there and, and clip them in, in the wild carder in the uh, the Pacific Division standings, if, if you're also looking at Calgary to see if they go on a run here. So every team, you, you, if you can't make a, a big splash, who knows, maybe they're, you know, Eric Carlson as well. You, you definitely got to load up up front, get some depth, because you, you don't win a Stanley Cup with, without your depth guy stepping up. And that's what happened with them a couple of years ago when they went to the final season with the Penguins. They got contributions from, from guys like Thomas Hurdle, Melker Carlson, Jonas, you know, Jonas Donskoy, team, you know, Justin Braun. Your guys are stepping up that weren't Joe Pavelski 
you know, Joe Thornton, Brent Burns, Logan Couture. And, you know, they're, they're hoping Evander Kane can kind of be that, that secondary scoring guy that can really help them out. And, uh, you know, cause it's, it's, it's not going to be easy getting out of that Pacific division. If, if they end up playing Anaheim or then have to go through Vegas, maybe in round two, it, it's going to be a tough sled for them. So picking up a guy like Evander Kane to help him up front, uh, we'll see what happens there with him. It was interesting because he was like the only one that it, he had like, uh, surrounding his deal was like there was character references going on and he like <laughs> the outgoing gm had to like talk to the other gm about oh no we recommend him you can like he's gonna be fine it it was a really odd situation with like the movement of evander kane and just the polarity that surrounds him yeah because i mean she said i mean going back to you know days in winnipeg she had so many the allegations and then uh, the whole track suit shower thing last year i think it was last year or two years ago with in winnipeg with dustin bufflin and, and it just seems like it, it, it's just a, just a problems follow him and that's probably why the yeah, doug wilson was able to get him on such a, a good deal you know and he didn't have to give him a lot to, to grab yeah. a guy who could score 20 goals and he's been a little cold uh since the beginning of the year uh but you know maybe, and he has also he hasn't been into the playoffs in his entire career he's been around a while so maybe the change of scenery to a team like the Sharks, who you know they have good leadership there, uh, will if Doug Wilson's hoping can really you know get his offensive game going. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Um, so getting back to the losers, who were you? Who did you look at that you were kind of upset didn't do this or didn't do that? Because I I don't know. I shocked. I talked to Sean McIndoe last week, and we were talking about the deadline. And one of my questions was. The Red Wings were a team that still is just in this really awkward position where they have this new arena, so they can't do this full teardown, and their GM has been adamant that they are not going to do a tanking strategy. They're not going to go tear it down. And there are other variables that are just going to make things complicated with them because they had this playoff streak that was great, and they're this storied franchise, but they don't have a lot of talent as much as they used to. And a lot of guys aged out and now they're in a weird situation where they have enough talent to be okay, but they don't have enough talent to really compete for a Stanley cup final. And they're not going to go through a full teardown, but they've got to replenish this young core. And there's not really a clear way of doing it without um, a somewhat of, even if it's like a couple year reset, they're not even doing that. So I looked at them as like my biggest loser of just not going a complete teardown, kind of like what the Rangers did, but uh, what do you think about the Red Wings and then your other um, potential losers? Or do you disagree that they uh, it was a, it was a defensible to kind of stand pat and do a little bit and not do a bunch? Well, I, I think the good that Ken Holland did was uh, you look at their, their cap structure, and this was all created by Ken Holland himself. I mean, you look at how many years left Zetterberg has. You look at how many years of Advocator has in his contract. Darren Helm, Danny DeKaiser. You know, he has guys that are on long-term contracts taking up a lot of money. Franz Nielsen as well. Uh, these older players who, uh, you know, their production is going to be start declining as they get older. Yeah. Um, and you also have these young kids coming through, the Athens the Dylan Larkins, the Anthony Manthas, you know, guys who have hope for the future. But then you look at this deadline, and he, I think he did, for, for what he was able, for, what, for, for the situation, I think he did a good job. He got traded Peter Morazic. Couldn't trade Mike Green because he was injured. Yeah, would actually at least get something, you know, for him. Green said he's wanted to stay, so we'll see what happens in the, in the summertime. But trading Peter Mrazek, also trading away uh, Thomas Tatar, and you, you look at their draft. I mean, they have 
seven definite picks in the opening four rounds of this June draft, potentially depending on some conditions, but they have two first round picks. So Holland can go either two ways, depending on their cap situation, who's available. Either you can fill up the, the prospect cupboard again and, and start developing those kids through the system, or you take those assets and you swing them. You try and make a deal and, and bring some NHL roster players that, that can help you beginning next season for this retool. Because you, you, Zetterberg's not going where, Abdelkader's not going where. You have these older guys that are not going where because their their contract situation. It's so tough to to offload them to to teams because they're they're not producing at the same rate they were when they earned that contract, uh, which is obviously pretty silly for Holland to to hand out. But um, and they also have some some contract. Uh, situations to deal with the summer. Athanasio is an RFA. Larkin, Mantha, those guys are RFAs. Now their rights are controlled, obviously, so it helps the Red Wings a little bit. But they're going to have to pay those kids, you know, a little bit more money and give them, you know, a little more responsibility in, in the lineup because they're going to be the future, and you want to build around those kids going forward. So uh, for for this, like I said, for the situation that Holland had put himself in, I think he did a pretty good job. Um, as far as a, a big a big loser, I. I think you may maybe want to go with the uh, the Dallas Stars. Their team, oh, to me, to me they, I mean, they just they, they didn't do anything. They they, they sat. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if if maybe the the prices were just way too high for Jim Nil. Um, but the Stars are they've been a team for the last I don't know two three years that everyone's just kind of waiting for them to explode and be this big contender. And they've stumbled the last several years. We know they've got great offense. They, they tried to solve their goaltending issue, getting Ben Bishop last year and, and Kyle Lennon for, for, you know, to his credit has, has played well in a backup role this year. Um, but for, for, for Jim Neal to just not, tinker at all with that roster. I mean, Martin Hansel is now out for a couple of weeks with another injury, which is, which is kind of what you expect with Martin Hansel. Cause that's kind of what he does. Is he's always hurt. Um, I don't know if you want, like, like we were talking about before, you know, just, just, just strengthening areas of your roster as you're entering the final month, especially in a situation like the stars where, you know, they're in a wild card spot now, but they're that they're they're not in a comfy position there. You have you have a couple of teams you know coming up behind that that could clip them if if they get if they get hot over the next month. So, um, you know, either that's like I said, either the prices were too high or that's a message from Jim Neal to his team that he feels you know that he feels confident and that they're able to kind of close this out and 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 lock up a playoff spot uh, going forward. But I'm 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 curious to see what the reaction is in the Dallas market if the Stars either miss or they get bounced in round one. And everyone kind of goes back to what they what they didn't do at the trade deadline to strengthen their team. Hmm, that's interesting. I think with the Red Wings to bring it back there, I, I think their only I think their big thing is uh, figuring out if there is a way to get Steve Eiserman back to Detroit and he can just take back over <laughs> to be the general <laughs> manager of Detroit. That's that's the solution. It's not. It, I don't think Canalan's going to be the solution in Detroit. I think they just have to do whatever it takes to get him back in Detroit. But I think it's going to be tough to pull him away from uh, Tampa Bay. Like, he, is he the GM of the year? Especially with what he did at the deadline. Like, they're the Stanley Cup favorite at this point. Is uh, is he in good position to win that or no? Um, yeah. I mean, these, the, the awards vote on the GMs. So, either uh, – I think it's probably down to Eisenman or George McPhee in Vegas for what they're doing. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, Holland is definitely the, the dream scenario for the Red Wings, but there's, if you look at uh, 
Tampa situation and Detroit situation, I don't see why he'd want to come home to Detroit uh, with with kind of their the fact that they're you know the Lightning are a contender now and will be for the next several years at least uh, you know as long as those young guys keep producing and I don't know I don't know if if you know if you bring back Sam Pollock if he can undo the uh, the disaster of that cap situation that Ken Holland did to uh, <laughs> to the Red Wings so I I mean Holland's his 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 deal is up after the season. And his name has yeah. kind of been brought up in, in rumors with Seattle, but obviously that's, that's a couple of years down the road. So I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Chris Illich, the, the son of Mike Illich and Mary Illich, um, who kind of took over things after he, Mr. Illich passed away. I won't be shocked if Ken Holland kind of gets that, that uh, gets kicked upstairs. You know, he doesn't get fired. He doesn't get, you know, dismissed. They just kick him upstairs to some kind of executive advisor position. Role. Yeah, the advisor role. Yeah. And they bring in a, in like a Like what Ned Gletty got with the Dodgers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's it, still, it, like, somehow involved. It's like he was terrible for a long time, but we're not going to do you that dirty. We're just going to – we're going to move you around into another place. You're not going to have any influence, but you're still going to be able to say you work for the Dodgers. Yeah, Holland's been there such a long time. They've won Stanley Cup, so you, you don't want to uh, – it's, and they're not doing a terrible situation here. It's not falling apart. It's just, it's just, there's, there's no daylight at the moment. So just kick them upstairs, bring in a, a, a fresh set of eyes, uh, and, and maybe just do kind of do a whole restart. Who knows about Jeff Blaschel as well? There's, he's kind of been rumored on the hot seat. So could just maybe a, a fresh start as those older vets age out and those contracts finally get off the books over the next couple of years. Who are you more worried about long term, the Isles or the Rangers? Uh, I would say the the I would say the Rangers. Although uh, Jeff Gordon did a mm. really did a, did a really good job at the deadline. You know, they have I think six yeah. or seven picks in, in the first couple rounds yeah, of the draft. They got a bunch of picks, and uh, you know they, they they brought in some young talent that they're still you know they're still a couple of years away. But um, the Islanders, I mean, just look at their scoring. Their top two lines, you know, they, we know they can score goals. I mean, Matt Barzell probably going to win the Calder this year. Tavares. They're hoping, obviously, they're hoping he stays because that's a huge beast. But Jordan, the Jordan Everly trade yeah. for uh, Ryan Strom worked out fantastic. Everly's been great. Anders Lee is a premier power forward in this league. Josh Bailey's having a career and obviously cashing with his new deal. So the Islanders have some. Um, they're not other than Barzell. They're, they're not super young. They're kind of late twenties, but they're still kind of right in their primes and and producing. Where as the Rangers are this weird mix of there's some nice young pieces there. You know, the Mestikov. He had a great year, but who knows? Was he a product of being on the top line in Tampa? Um, Kreider, you know, he has his ups and downs, shows some flashes. Zuccarello is obviously, you know, a fantastic player, but he's 30. Um, Zibanejad is, is, is great. He obviously earned his, in his extension, so that was a, a, a fine deal for them. And Buchnevich has shown flashes as well. VC's you know, up and down here and there. And then on the blue line, you know, you have Brady Shea and then Mark Stahl, Shattenkirk, a couple older guys. And then some question marks down down the line. So, you know, you, you have Lundqvist at 35, 36 years old. Um, you know, he's not going he's anywhere. Ageless. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. Um, but in, and you don't want to waste this window while he's still playing at the top of his game. So, the the Rangers, I think, can can retool this summer. You know, they have they have the picks. They're a team that can spend to the cap ceiling. So, I wouldn't be shocked if Jeff Gordon, you know, kind of clears some some more room in the off season. And, and is very aggressive in free agency, pursuing some of the bigger names. And I won't be shocked if Ilya Kovalchuk is top of that list. Hmm. Oh, that'd be interesting. Um, how do you think Rick Nash will fare in Boston? I think fine. Just because, you know, okay. he's, 
he's in, in New York. He had such a, a resume when he came to New York as just such a big scorer, you know, won the Rocker of Shardwell with Columbus in his early time there. And he was looked at as in, in the Rangers in, in New York as, as you had to be the guy, you know, he, they looked to him for a big goal in the playoffs and he just wasn't that guy where he goes to Boston. He doesn't have that pressure of, of he has to be the guy to score the big goal that night. You know, Boston's so stacked, Krejci, uh, Pasternak, Bergeron when he's healthy, Marshawn, Backus, uh, you know, Zidane Char on the back end, a bunch of good young rookies there with uh, Jake DeBrusque and Danton Heinen as well, who have been producing. So I think, you know, he, he's already meshed pretty well in, in the first couple of games here. You know, he's got a bunch of points already. So I, I think he's going to do pretty well. And I, I think not having that pressure on him to be the guy will definitely serve him well in, in Boston for at least the rest of this year. And then we'll see what happens in the summer when he hits free agency. But the bigger question is, is he a flopper? No, that was, um, <laughs> that was, you know, that he would definitely do pretty well in playing Italian soccer for sure in, in, the, in the Serie A league over there. So that was, that was quite a great a flop. And I, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen uh, him get fined uh, for embellishment. Maybe that was his first warning from the league. And, and we'll see if that, what happens if he gets a second one this season. Hockey is such an interesting sport to like flop, like flopping. You get it in soccer, you get it in basketball, but in hockey and just (laughs) even in football, it looks weird. I guess it's, that's the equivalent of just how weird it looks as you're watching it to see a hockey player flop, just because there's that just tough guy, just thing that surrounds every hockey player that when they flop, you're just kind of stunned. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's like something that they would do i i don't know but whenever i see it i'm just always taken aback of like that is just so bizarre and i just feel like these guys would be way too self-conscious about that and just like what that would make them look like i i don't know that that could be completely wrong but rick nash is obviously okay with it but i will say it will always look weird seeing a hockey player flop yeah i mean if guys especially in the playoffs you know throwing their bodies in front of 100 mile shots blocking them with their face or random parts of their body skating on one leg. If they take them one off the foot and, you know, obviously we know how physical the sport is. So when you see them try and work the refs like that, it's, it's, it's great. It's great that the NHL put in that, 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 uh, that, that fine program for catching, uh, uh, guys who get fined. Unfortunately, the, uh, the fines are a pittance for what most of these guys make, but at least the, you know, the, embarrassment of making it looking known that they're getting fined for diving is a start. So hopefully uh, in the next CBA that the league and the players uh, can work out something where, you know, they're hit a little bit more in the pocketbook to, so these guys don't know and continue doing that. Do you think the Predators are going to go on another Stanley Cup run or do you think it's just really, really hard to get back-to-back finals appearances? Do you think there's a chance or do you, or where are you at with them? No, I think they're, I think they're set up, you know, fantastically, you know, obviously it's, it's tough to make it. And I think we're still kind of stunned that the Penguins made it just because their whole blue line was just a mash unit last year. And, and yeah. you know, it was surprising they went that far. Uh, but when you have those superstars, you can make it. And I think, uh, you know, the Predators certainly, they, that was definitely a great learning experience for a lot of those guys who had never been that far in the postseason. And they had a guy like Nick Benino, Nick Benino, it was from Pittsburgh who ha- has done it and has experience and bringing back Mike Fisher, who's been to the Stanley Cup before uh, in his career. So it, that was definitely a, a good learning experience. And David Poyle does a, a great job out there uh, really building this team slowly over the years into a, a contender. And, and right now, 
I mean, they have all the horses to make another run. Pecorini is playing great, fantastic. They're getting great balance scoring from their blue line and up front. Um, you know, guys are their depth is, is chipping in. I mean, they have I mean, like half a dozen guys with at least double digits and goals. So, you know, they're scoring left and right. And it, it, to me, they're to me right now. I think their their biggest hurdle uh, will be Vegas. Vegas is the X factor because we see how they are now, but it's a completely different animal in, in the playoffs when you're playing one team and you're solely focused on them for a week to 10 days, you know, best of seven games where your, your staff is breaking down the strengths and weaknesses of, of one team. You're not worrying about the Panthers tonight and then the lightning two nights later, you're just focused on one team solely for that best of seven games. And I'm curious to see how a team going up against Vegas, who, you know, they're so fast, they're so skilled. They play so strongly as a unit. They're well coached and they're, they're, they're balanced as well. Just how a team can kind of pick apart that 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 roster over over you know, a course of seven games when you have a team like Nashville who has so many experienced veterans on that roster and so many skilled players. Um, yeah, I, I think I, Winnipeg is definitely a, a good team, but I think if Nashville is going to go to the Cup this year, I think it's going to you know if they can you get by Vegas or avoid Vegas, I, you know, I think they'll be fine. That's interesting because Vegas has been the biggest maybe. Uh, admire like aberration this year of just no one people thought like best case scenario they might be a borderline playoff team but i mean they've kind of fallen a little bit as of late but just being number one in the west at <laughs> for majority of the season is still just insane but they're a team that just does it with a bunch they're just a collective like you pointed out like they just have a bunch of lines that just they're just good enough it's just a collection of solid role players that have all gelled the right way and it's just worked in the regular season but you wonder they kind of remind me of like the Hawks of a couple of years ago that uh, all five of their starters were the NBA player of the month at one point where you knew that it was a fun regular season store. They win 60 games and everything's great. But then come playoff time, this was going to be a team that struggled. And I wonder if that's going to be Vegas where they have this collective that works in the regular season. It's a fun regular season story. But then come playoff time, they might get knocked out in the first round just because like you said, it's just a different animal. And I, I don't know. I'm not really a Vegas playoff believer. That's that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I mean, listen, you have William Carlson who's having, I think he had like six or seven goals last year with Columbus, is having the career of years of, of the best career year in a long time for, for a guy who's made such a jump. But he's also shooting 24% this season. And you're wondering, it's 35 goals, it's great, but how long is that going to last? You know, when is, when is he going to go back to being William Carlson? Um uh, but you also have this team, like you know, like you said, they're, they're a collective. And when they were here in New York earlier in the season, I talked to a bunch of guys just, just asking them you know, how they were able to develop chemistry so quickly because you're throwing these guys together who were either taken in the draft or picked through free agency or acquired in a trade. You're throwing them together, and it's like, oh, you're a hockey team now. Go play 82 games. And we've seen how well they've done that. And, and basically the, the overwhelming theme was they came together – with the theme of we were castoffs. Our team did not want us. They left us exposed. They traded us away. They didn't want to resign us. And that was the bond that they all shared from day one of training camp. And from the t- early days where they went out to dinners together in Vegas and spent time together to kind of get, get to know one another. And, and we've seen it through the season. I mean, we all thought they were going to be just done uh, in those two months where they were without Mark Andre Fleury and they were, 
this close to picking off goalies from beer leagues in Vegas and just calling up. It seemed like every single game they were losing a goalie and, you know, Maxime Legacy, uh, Malcolm Subban, you know, they did a fantastic job of kind of keeping this team afloat until Mark Andre Fleury got back. And obviously Fleury is a, a top goaltender and, and has really kind of strengthened that team going forward and obviously getting career years from a number of guys and scoring from everywhere. And obviously, there's certainly this the, obviously the excitement of the games in Vegas. You know, every game is sold out. It's a show. The fans are obviously jacked because they're doing so well. Um, so it, it's going to be it's going to be fun to see them in the postseason, and it's going to be really fun if they end up going on a run there. Do you think Seattle will have an even better opening year? Open not like we can't predict like years out, but like just that kind of support. Do you think it's a good idea that it seems like it's an it's going to happen that we're going to get the 32nd team in Seattle. And that is going to be a thing. We know the three owners, they talked to sports illustrated a couple days ago, and you can read that story on how they see things going and just uh, the way that process works and getting it. They got a lot of advice from the Vegas owners and just everything going on there. Do you think it's a good idea that the NHL is going to add one more team, especially in Seattle? And do you think it goes well? Yeah. I mean, with 31 teams now, you kind of want to balance out the it's conferences. Awkward. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, putting another team out there in, in the West will you know create a rivalry with Vancouver. You hope, and um, certainly Seattle is a hockey town. I mean, they had it wasn't the NHL when they were around, I believe. It was kind of just before, but they do have a Stanley Cup on their resume for that city, um, the Metropolitans, and obviously they've had junior hockey for a long time. So, and we saw what happened on day one of of the ticket drive last week, selling. You know, twenty five thousand yeah. in the first hour, and they they think they're set. Their original goal was just ten thousand, and then they blew it out of the water within sixty minutes. So, the excitement is certainly there. Um, I, I think you look at the growth of hockey just with young players in in the U.S. and Canada. The number of registered participants every single year is going up, and I think USA Hockey had a stat the other day. I think the the number of registered kids. Uh, boys and girls like eight number eight and under or nine under was like the, the all time high. So it, it's not like hmm. you're you're going to be setting out the mark, you know, the uh, thing at the player pool, adding a team in two, you know, in two or three seasons or whatever it is. So by then, you know, the number of players is, is just increased over time. And you, know, you look at college hockey, you look at junior hockey in Canada, you look at junior hockey in the U.S. You know, th- th- there's players getting developed all over. And when Seattle comes in. Uh, you look in Vegas and the successor having, I think, you know, I think Seattle's going to do just not, not as good. Uh, but I mean, the talents, it's not going to, it's not going to be like one of those NHL expansion teams from the early 2000s where the Wild and Columbus were given like, you know, the sixth goaltender from a team's depth chart and, you know, the, the, the 15th forward or whatever. You know, they're, they're going to get the same uh, expansion draft rules that Vegas had. Certainly, you'd expect GMs to be a little bit smarter by then. And, Maybe uh, not give them uh, such the, uh, the the best side deals and, and leave some top players exposed. Be a little bit smarter about who they uh, are protecting, who they expose going forward. But um, I think Seattle they're certainly going to sell out and do well there. And I think the the, the roster that they have, I don't think it's going to be as strong as Vegas has this year, but it'll definitely be competitive because that's certainly the goal that the NHL wants to have. They they want these teams to be competitive in year one because not only do you, you don't want to the team to be embarrassing, but you also want to, you know, to grow the market again, especially in Seattle where they've had hockey there. And you kind of want to get people, you know, on board with the franchise going forward. I don't feel great about Atlanta getting another hockey team anytime soon. 
Yeah. Well, he's had two. So <laughs> didn't really work out Third so time's well. a charm, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> obviously, with the thrashers, there was the whole ownership issue was, was, was a big. Yeah. So you, you wonder if you know, there's always a what if. If they would have had stable ownership there, would have you know, would it have succeeded? I mean, they had the, the 2006, 2007 season when they made the playoffs. You know, they had Elliot Kovalchuk. They had a young Kerry Letton in there. So you know, they had good players there. It's just obviously the ownership situation really kind of handcuffed things. And, um, but yeah, you know, maybe I mean, there's minor league hockey there. So that just, uh, with the way the angels situated to a 32 teams, I think, uh, I think they're going to be pretty set for, for a while there. What would you name the Seattle team? Um, you know, I like, I like the, the, the totems was the one totems? of the, the choice okay. choices that was there. Um, uh-huh. I, I like the Easter eggs. That's a that's a fun one, just because you figure there's going to be some kind of colorful uniform there. Or uh, I think there was, okay. uh, I think those one like the, the Seattle Seals was another option. Um, uh-huh. I loved I love the name on the Sonics, but the Bruckheimer and the ownership group. No, there, no, both, no, you're not yeah. getting Sonics. They're not doing well, that. No, yeah, no. I know. With the Oakview group, they've already said you know they they want the NHL and they also want to bring back the NBA. And it, it seemed pretty it seems yeah. pretty inevitable that the NBA is going to go back to Seattle at some point, and, and the Sonics will return. And Sean Kemp will you know will dunk on opening night one day, and 14 year old me will be excited in my youth small. Hot, you know, Sean Kemp jersey from 1994. So, um, I, I think I'm going to go with totems because it'd, it'd be a pretty unique name, and I can imagine that the colors on the uniform would be pretty cool as well. Okay, so kind of like a Portland Timber situation. Yeah, I could see something like that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Go outside the box. I'm okay with that. Um, do you th- like who have you really loved watching this year? Like, I'm. I know you're having to watch a lot of stuff um, for for NBC Sports. Like, who? Have you tuned in like you're like, I have to watch. This is like appointment viewing that I really love watching this particular team play. I think of late Taylor Hall because he's got on a crazy point streak, but also out west, Nathan McKinnon in, in Colorado. Um, he is he had some heart trophy buzz earlier in the season and he got hurt and has kind of been off of people's radar with uh, Taylor Hall doing what he's doing and Benny Malkin doing what he's doing. But yeah, I think McKinnon should certainly be in, in the heart trophy discussion because he's really – He's really carrying that team. I mean, they're they're just outside the playoff hunt right now, but you, you watch him, and he's a guy, and he he kind of did this at times when he was a, a younger player uh, that that one year, a couple years ago, when he made the playoffs, where he can he can take the team on his back and, and carry them offensively, and when you need a big goal, uh, when you need to swing the momentum back in your way, you know, he's really developed in, in that kind of go-to player, and he's scoring almost every night, putting up points every night. So he's been certainly fun to watch and really making abs games, which were a pain to watch several years ago. He's making them certainly uh, must watch TV. And that, the other kid is, uh, we talked about before Matt Barzel with the Islanders. He's so fast. Uh, he, he works so well and he, he's, you know, every time he gets the puck, it, it, he, he kind of reminds me of uh, when Thierry Henry used to play for Arsenal in the English Premier League. Every time, he was running up the field with the ball on his foot. You kind of got on the edge of your seat because you just you just know it's going to end up in some sort of sort of scoring chance. And that's kind of the feeling I get watching Barzil because he's so fast. He picks up the puck with speed in the neutral zone, and you just know that the defenseman has no chance in stopping him. And he's and we've seen it time and time again this year where he blows around the guy either to select a scoring chance for himself or 
pass it off to one of his teammates for, for a scoring chance. So, uh, like I say, he's probably going to win the call this year. And um, it, it's not only because he's uh, <laughs> he's putting up points uh, on a regular basis, but because he's definitely one of the more exciting guys to watch in this league. McKinnon, he is, like, just seeing, like, the the comparisons because, like, cross-sport comparisons are really difficult to do, but, like, everyone comparing him to, like, the Kobe Bryant of the NHL right now, like you like you point out, like he's just a point machine. And he's someone that you have to tune into every night because it's just you know he's going to do something, and he's just so consistent that like he is. Literally, I think I read something on HockeyNews.com about like him just like channeling his like inner Kobe Bryant, and I, I don't know. It seems that that actually is one of those that works a cross sport comparison that works. Nathan McKinnon, he might be the NHL Kobe. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think he's. he's- Grew up in Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia, so he's very good friends with Sidney Crosby. He trains with him every summer, so every summer oh, okay. Nathan McKinnon gets to see Sidney Crosby train, and just that focus, and that mindset, and that attitude towards improving your game. You know, Sidney Crosby, well, for all he has, Stanley Cups, gold medals, Hart trophies, you know, best player in the world. You know, he's still working on his game every summer. He still sees holes where he can get better. And that for for a young player like Mason McKinnon to see that up close and personal every single day in the off season, you know that's that you know that's 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 a, a great education for him going forward, for him to improve his game year to year. And you know he's done that. And he he got it. You know he came out of the came out of junior. You know had a great rookie season. You know, had a tough couple. You know tough couple next years, but this year. Um, you know, since he's been healthy, has really, really turned it on, especially for an Avalanche team that can certainly use him. Um, you know, they, 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 they don't have that other than uh, McKinnon. I don't think they have that one guy in that team that can really take over a game by himself. They have some, uh, a number of good players in that team, but McKinnon is really the guy that kind of drives that team this year. Do you know who doesn't need to train with Cindy Crosby in the off season? Because, you know, he is a, he's a machine. Some might call him a Russian machine, and he never breaks. So he is just good to go. No off-season training, no anything. He is just a timeless treasure, and that's Alex, uh, Alex Ovechkin. He is uh, You're talking about a heart trophy. Um, <laughs> no, like I said before, no, like the Capitals are, are they're not the Lightning, but they've been in first place in the Metro for most of the season. Uh, they're scoring like they always do. Ovi is probably going to hit 50 goals yet again. Uh, he just became the sixth player to have nine seasons of at least 40 goals in, in a year. He's two away from 600 for his career. He's only 32 years old. He hasn't hit a thousand games yet. He's come up on that as well. I and mean, he's just he's just playing like vintage Ovi. But I, I, no one's really talking about him or the Capitals because I, I think there's so many other you know. You know, shiny things around the league. You know, like we talk about McKinnon, the Vegas Golden Knights, Lightning, what they're doing, the Penguins, obviously with the, with the last two cups. And I, I think we're all waiting for the playoffs to see what the Capitals do because we're, we're all conditioned by this right now. Yeah, they win the Presidents Trophy. They have a, a fantastic regular season. Ovi scores 40, 50 goals like usual, and then they can't beat the Penguins and you know get out of the, the second round every single year. So we've seen this movie before. So you know, the, the, the Capitals are, they're in line to do that yet again. You know, it looks like the, the Capitals may win the division. 
Um, and they play the Penguins in, in round two. It's, it's like the, the script is already being written and, and for the movie. And it's just a matter if they can get over that hump because we know, we know they're a talented team. We know they're well coached with Barry Trotz. And it's just a matter at this point, I think people are just saying, yeah, we've seen this before. Let's see what they do in the postseason. I think you're exactly right with the Capitals. It's definitely the situation where it's just like until they get over that hump, it's just it's hard to really invest a lot into them. And imagine being a Capitals fan where it's just like, oh, first place again. Is this going to be the year that we finally break through? Ovechkin's still awesome. Are we finally going to take advantage? But I just I don't know. It's got to be absolutely and aggra- just ridiculously aggravating to be a Capitals fan for the last like decade. It's and even more than even more than that because the, the I mean they've been losing the Penguins in the postseason since the nineties. So this is like two <laughs> yeah. generations of, of Capitals fans. So and I'm just wondering like how they can they can, at least you know this year last year can they enjoy the successes of a regular season when they know that the postseason has been such a house of horrors for them. And and it also the you know, on the flip side that 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 one year if they do get over that hump, get past the second round, go to the Stanley Cup final, maybe win a Stanley Cup final, just you know what that celebration is going to be like it's going to be like you know when the cubs won the world series you know centuries of agony for the caps is going to be decades of agony you know finally gone and they have finally have that championship there so they're they're a team that you you, you, you know one of those teams where you'd love to see win just because their fans have been through so much unless obviously if you're a penguins fan you obviously don't want to see them win or a fellow metropolitan division team if you're a fan of them but you know they're such but if you're uh, a penguins fan you should be okay with whatever like it's been really great for a long time now and just yeah. the amount of success and just having malkin and crosby and just I, I mean even just last year is enough where it's like i feel like even if you're a penguins fan you're like oh it's nice that the capitals finally got one good for them it was about time yeah but fans always say that right and then when the, the team loses though that first week it's like you're really hurt, especially the Penguins this year, because they're going for history. It hasn't been a three-peat since the early 80s. Last year, they hit the back-to-back mm-hmm. for the first time in, in 20 years. I mean, and then they say that now, like, yeah, it's okay if they don't win this year. But once the playoff comes and round one comes or round two and they play the Capitals, then it's like, oh, we got we to gotta sweep this team. We're, we're going you know, to win the Stanley Cup. We're, we're going to put our rivals, you know, give them their misery as we do every single year. So um, Penguins fans may be feeling that now, but I think, you know, Come postseason, it's gonna be a different story. Once once the games start really having some real meaning to them, who has surprised you that has underachieved in a significant way this year that you thought might actually be pretty good? Oh, probably. I mean, it's kind of the same old story with them in the St. Louis Blues. They were a team for a couple years, like a few years ago, maybe like one or two seasons in a row. I picked them really go deep in, in the postseason. I thought they, they had all together. And you know, as usual, they did their thing where it kind of like the Capitals in a way, just minus all the uh, president trophies where they'd have a strong regular season and they look really good. They win the central division. They'd be primed for a playoff run. And then they get bounced in round one, bounced in round two. And they made the conference finals a couple of years ago, but they, they couldn't get by the Sharks. And this year, they were the darlings of the of the league. I love them in Vegas for the you know, the first two months of the season, uh, and then the last two months it's just been just been downhill. It's a, it's just been they just rolled off a cliff, and now they're not even in a playoff spot. Doug Armstrong has probably saw this coming, and then he went to Paul Stassi, 
trade asked him to waive his no move, traded him away, so that he's got some assets for a guy who, you know, he, he's got some something in return for for the future. He did this last year as well with with Kevin Shattenkirk, at least getting something out of it. But you look at that roster, and Brayden Chen's having a great season. Tarasenko's doing what he's doing. James Schwartz has been solid as well when he's been healthy this year. You know, Peter Angel has been great. You know, Pareko's scoring, but you know their goaltending has really really done them in this year. Jake Allen was supposed to be that guy. They let Brian Elliott go. Allen, you know, Jake Allen was supposed to be the guy to, to take over that, that number one job and run with it. And this year, it hasn't happened. I mean, there were parts of this season where Carter Hutton was their number one, and he played fantastic. But he's kind of come back down to earth. So. If for them to go forward, one of those two guys really has to take the reins and, and, and turn things around be, because uh, you know, the, the Blues can score. They just can't. It's kind of like the Islanders. They can score, but they can't keep the puck out of their own, of their own net, and they're really shooting themselves in the foot. And right now, you know, that's that's why they're in the position they're in, where they're looking up at the teams in the standings. Where a couple months ago, they were looking pretty comfy and, and ready for another playoff run, but. Um, I'm curious to see what, what might change this summer if they miss or they get bounced around one. Uh, Mike Yo kind of went through this in Minnesota as well, where he kind of lost it on a couple players during practice. And then they got Devin Dubnik and they turned things around this, you know, last week he was calling out players to the media and expressing his disgust with the team's play. So uh, it hasn't really worked, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see what happens in, in, in this final month. It's, I think it's gonna be a pretty pivotal month for that franchise, just depending on you know, just, just judging by what you know, how things might go going forward in the off season. Last thing, and then we need to go. Um, as of right now, we're recording this on a Monday night. It's March fifth. How do you see the Stanley Cup final going? Uh, I'm gonna stick with my prediction from I think I had this in September. I'm going all chalk. Tampa Bay against the okay. Nashville, Nashville Predators. I think both of those teams are are just they're so well built. Rick, obviously, we talked about before. Just, just great jobs by their GM, by their GMs. They're really setting them up. They're getting fantastic goaltending. Vasilevsky and Pekka Rene are, are definitely going to be you know, on that short list for best and trophy candidates and then the season. Uh, the, the Lightning are just stacked. <laughs> they may have two heart tro- you know guys two two guys got two guys in the heart trophy mix with Kucherov and Stankos. Maybe Vasilevsky if you can get hot over the, over the last month. The Predators are, are we know how strong they've been on on the blue line going back to when they had Barry Trotz, just kind of the staple of that franchise. And then they have the, the scoring depth up front and getting Mike Fisher back it, it will certainly help them as well because like the Penguins on the blue line in the Stanley Cup, the the Predators found out just how important it is to have depth down the middle. And Mike Fisher's presence will certainly help there. So I, I think they're primed. I mean, certainly they can get clipped by any team. I mean, you look at the play of Boston and, and Toronto the last couple of weeks, uh, coming out of that Atlantic division can be pretty tough for them. And with the Central, Minnesota's been red hot of late. And then, as we talked about before, you know, Winnipeg, great goaltending. They can score. Um, but, but can they overcome that defensively? Well, those teams had a wild, that wild game last week. It was like six to five or seven to six or whatever it was. Um, so I, I'd love to see that in, in round two over the course of seven games. But you know, I, I think Nashville's a team that can really clamp down in, in the postseason and really kind of suffocate teams defensively. And uh, that's going to be – if they do meet, it'll be a huge test for the Winnipeg Jets. But Nashville and Tampa, um, two cities I love to visit. So uh, it works out to be a great Stanley Cup final for me. All right. I, I think one of the two – it's just – it's, it seems like it's so rare for the best team in both conferences to 
make it to the final. Like just the NHL playoffs are just so crazy all the time that it just, they're both so good. But at the same time, I I think if I had to really put my money on it, I would say the Bruins are going to get there. I, yeah. I think they just feel like the team that's going to break through and they're just going to ruin the Lightning's just magical season and people are just going to groan as Boston wins another title. I just, I, th- I feel like that's where we're headed. Yeah, I mean, there's always that hot goaltender, that hot team. You look at Ottawa last season and, and you know, and, and what they did on on their run to uh, the conference final, come within a goal of uh, getting there. Um, you know, any one of those those strong teams can can get clipped off, as we said. And all it takes is is one hot goalie in one of these rounds, or, or a team just really coming together at the right time, kind of like what, what Ottawa did last year with their run. Um, and, and it doesn't matter how strong a team is defensively in goal. Um, you know, it, that hot team, the hot goalie always finds a way to, to shut down an offense or overcome a defense in, in Nashville's case. So um, it's going to be tough. Like I said, you know, the Tampa and Nashville, the, the Atlantic and the Central are tough divisions to come out of in the postseason. So it's going to be a, a pretty, you know, a pretty big dogfight in those opening two rounds to get to the, just to get to at least the conference final for those two teams. Sean Leahy, thank you so much for taking the time, sir. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. You got it, Chase, anytime. All right. Well, we can find you on Twitter at Sean underscore Leahy. We can read you at NBC Sports Hockey Talk. Uh, actually, now it's not even, you don't, there's no real pro baseball talk, hockey talk, pro football talk. It's really just NBC Sports NHL. So a lot of, a little bit of a change, but that's how I always remember it. That's when I first started reading was the hockey talk. So I can't, I have not moved away from that yet, but anyway, do that, check him out, read him. Great work. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon, man. Absolutely. You got it. All right. Thanks, Sean. You got Chase. Take care. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase Double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.